Good afternoon to you all. It's always so good to see you. We're going to finish up today in 2 Timothy. So I was preparing, I was thinking about when I was 19, I was in a mentoring group. Part of this group, one of the things we did was we were asked to write our own obituary, which when you're 19 years old is not something you've ever done before. If you had, we should talk. (laughs) And so I did, though, and I sat down, and uh, when I was 19, I was very much in love with my girlfriend, then soon to be my wife, still am, in case there was any lack of clarity. And so most of my obituary centered on my girlfriend, and yet the problem was her dad was leading this mentoring group, and so I had to balance things out a little bit. And so I toned that back a bit and worked in a lot of stuff about being a spiritual leader, about being financially independent, all the things at 19 that you needed to make sure would assure him that she was setting out for a life to be well-lived. Uh, I've never done it since. Uh, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe it would be helpful for you. But I say that to say there's something profoundly helpful, I think, about keeping Keeping the end in mind to say, where is all of this headed? What are we building towards? What does all of this mean? And that exercise really helped me with that. And I say that because as we wrap up 2 Timothy, this final passage, just three verses we're looking at today, I think is Paul having that sort of moment where he's writing his final words, now the final few paragraphs of his final letter to Timothy. And he's thinking on a life well lived and thinking, where has all of this been going? Have I been faithful to the vows that I made years before? Have I built my life on the promises of God. We sang about that just a minute ago, really beautifully, that idea of building our lives upon a sure foundation, upon the promises of God. And I think whenever we reach our final days, that's what we all hope for, to say, yes, I've actually built my life in such a way. And so that's really where I want us to reflect for just a few minutes today. Really a few things that stood out earlier this week as I was reflecting on our reading. First point is this, it's basic, but it's very profound for us. Be faithful to the vows we've made. First thing I'd want us to think on is simply to be faithful to the vows that you make. Paul here says he's reached his end. He's at the finish line and he has kept the vows that he made. Years before the things he promised to God, he's kept. One of the things I love about the Anglican prayer book, the Book of Common Prayer, in its early editions in the 1600s, one of the things they would do is every time a service began, they would begin with the Ten Commandments. They would say the whole of the Ten Commandments as a reminder of this is how we're meant to live. And there's something really beautiful about that because I think it would take most of us in this room for us to, off the top of our heads, come up with all Ten Commandments rightly ordered. We've kind of let that slip unfortunately. But what I love, that's not really the point. What I love is in that service, every time they would say a commandment, the congregation would respond with these words, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. And then after all 10 were said, they would finish and say, Lord, have mercy upon us and write all these thy laws in our hearts, we beseech thee. That language has always stuck with me. I thought of it in reading 2 Timothy, this idea that the words of the Lord, the laws of the Lord would be so deeply embedded and ingrained in our lives that it would be like they're written upon our hearts in the very core of our being. I officiated at a wedding this weekend, just last night actually, and I absolutely love doing weddings. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor because you get to stand before the Lord and before the friends and family of this couple and speak God's blessing over them, which is a wonderful thing to do. But most of the service is them actually taking vows to one another and to the Lord with everyone else watching and holding them to those vows that they make. 
It's a really profound moment. It's them saying, this is who I promise to be to you. This is the way of life in which I pledge to live. And the other does the same. And they say, from this moment on, this is who we will be to one another. They say yes to things. They say no to things. And then even in the service, there's moments in which the congregation holds them accountable to this. They say, we will do all we can to help them live into these vows. And I think there's a pattern in that service for the whole of our life. Whether you're married or not, there is a way in which we ask God's blessing on our life. We take certain vows. We make promises that we then have to live into, that we're meant to be faithful to for the whole of our lives. Weddings are an obvious example of that. But not everyone's married. Not everyone's called to be married. Everyone is called to be baptized. If you are a Christian, baptism is for you because it is a way that every single one of us can make those vows before the Lord, ask his blessing upon our lives, and then live into that with the community holding us to it. We have baptisms next weekend. We have a child being baptized. So excited about this because I love baptisms. I love weddings. I love baptisms. All these moments for us to, before the Lord, as a community, commit our lives to a certain path to a certain way of being. And in a baptism service, the whole community gathers around a child or an adult, however old they may be, and they say yes to certain things and they say no to certain things. They say no to sin and to death and to evil, to the devil, and they say yes to Jesus, yes to a certain way of life that is shaped by the cross of Christ, that is animated by the life of God. There's other ways that we do this, other vows that we take, maybe not as profound as vows like that, but they are vows nonetheless. If you are a parent, parenthood brings with it certain vows, certain ways of life that we commit ourselves to, whatever it may be, your work, your friendships, these all have certain expectations. And I would say all of those, you could wrap them up. You could go home this afternoon and think, what are the vows that I've made? What are the things I've committed myself to? And then what lies before us is to wake up every morning and say, am I actually intentionally living such a way that those things are actually true of me? Not just in an abstract sense, not just entirely aspirational, like someday I'll get around to those things. But am I right now, day in and day out, week by week, actually living the things that I've said I'm going to do? Do I have a community a Christian community that will hold me to this way of life. That it's actually a public way of life that I've said, this is who I want to be. If I'm prone to wander, if I stray, would you pull me back in line? Would you help me to be the man or the woman that I long to be? It's interesting because our emotions can get in the way of this so often. So often when we feel like doing the things we've said we're going to do, it's very easy for us to live this way of life. And yet if our heart wanders, if we're not feeling it, it is very easy for us to check out and stop living by the way of life that we've promised to live by, to do the things that we've said we're going to do. And if I could put it plainly today for us, I think Paul wants us to remember part of the heart of his words to Timothy are that we are called to be faithful and must choose to be faithful even when we don't feel like it. We have to be faithful even when we don't feel like it. We're told everywhere we turn to be true to ourselves. That's like a a cultural, just accepted norm. And yet following your heart and being true to yourself can lead you down some pretty dark and treacherous roads if your heart is not in a good place. And so simply being true to yourself and following your heart is not in and of itself enough to guarantee you're living a good and faithful life. We have to be people who do the work that we're called to do, who live by the vows that we've made, whether or not our emotions are feeling it, because they will waver. Your emotions will fail you. If they, if they haven't yet, they will soon enough. 
I have three little kids. There are days that I love being a parent, one of the highest gifts and callings in my entire life. Yet there are many other days when I think if, if, if a, a child screams at me one more time, if they throw scissors at their sibling's head one more time, I'm just going to flip. Like, I'm, I'm just done. And yet in that moment, when scissors are flying across the room towards a child's head, I am still a parent. I am still called to love them, to clothe them, to feed them, to speak life and blessing over them, to invite them into a certain way of life that does not include throwing scissors across the house. <laughs> right? There are days I love being a priest. Days I love being a follower of Jesus. And yet, if I am honest, if you are honest, there are days in which this is a hard way of life. When God feels distant and absent, God seems unconcerned with the brokenness in our world, the brokenness in his church, the pain and the confusion in our family and our own hearts and lives. And yet it's in those moments, not in spite of them, but in those moments that it is so vital and crucial that we are faithful to the way of life that we're called to, that we don't just melt and fall apart the first sign of trial or challenge in our lives. We have to press deeper. Choose to believe in God's goodness, even if your heart doesn't feel it. So how does Paul invite us to do this? A few other things I want to say as we move through. Next point is this. I think Paul says to live mindful of your death. Live mindful of your death. Verse 6, he says this. I am already being poured out as a libation in the time of my departure has come. A libation is a drink offering. It was wine that was literally poured upon an altar. This is Paul turning back to his old Jewish roots, old Jewish customs that he would have known from years before. And he's saying that this is, in a similar way, the way in which his life was lived. And there's something beautiful about this because this libation, this wine offering, is something that took years to age and to cultivate and to mature. That's the beauty of wine. And when we think of that, you have to say, why do we age and mature and cultivate wine? To what end is that done? Most of the time, it's to be consumed because we know that 20-year-old wine tastes better than wine that has been aged for one year. Once you have a nice glass of wine, two-buck chuck will never taste the same because there's something about the quality of that, something to how it's been aged and cultivated. Maybe a more Southern example. If you smoke meat overnight on your green egg, like every man in Atlanta I know does, that tastes a lot better than cooking chicken for a few minutes in the oven and then covering it in barbecue sauce. Why? Because it's aged and it takes time and it matures into something beautiful. And I think there's something profound about this image of smoked meats or aged wine that can be applied to our own lives as well. That this is actually the path to maturity, that the whole of our lives are meant to be aging and maturing like fine wine. But the beautiful twist in Paul's logic, this idea of a libation, is the end goal is not to then be consumed, as it were. Not that all of this is building for ourselves or our pride of accomplishment, but all of that maturing and aging is actually then meant to be poured out as an offering. It's offered to God as a gift. A life well-lived, beautifully lived for the whole of your life at the very end is then meant to be offered up to God. Everything we have comes from him. That's what the scriptures say. First Chronicles 29 says, all things come from you and of your own have we given you. 
In the communion liturgy, it says we offer to God a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. That's the only sacrifice you and I have to offer, our praise and our thanksgiving, a life fully animated by the Spirit, a life that is lived in conformity with the grace of God, that at the end of our lives we pour out like a libation, like an offering. I don't think it means we're perfect. It's not what Paul is saying, thankfully. Also, and this is really important for us to sit with, it doesn't mean that when it's time for you and I to go, when we meet our end and death is upon us, that everything will be perfectly wrapped up, like it's the perfect time to open that bottle of wine. Likely, there will be many loose ends. Death will be incredibly inconvenient for most of us. (laughs) It will come as a surprise. You and I will not be ready. We will not be just sitting on a rocking chair, twiddling our thumbs, saying, I've done it all. Just waiting on Jesus. If he would hurry up, I'm ready to go. No, we will have started things. We will have left things undone. Relationships that need to be tended to. Visions and dreams for ministry that are not yet completed. And you see this in Paul's own words as well. If you're following along in verse 6, he says, As for me, my time of departure has come. And yet in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober, Timothy. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry Fully. I think for Paul, in this moment, Paul knows that there is a task that is bigger than him. He has been called by God to start something, but it will continue, and he trusts that God will see it through well beyond him. And I think there's something profoundly significant for us in that point. I think most of our lives, we have imaginations around things that we can begin, things that we can see fully come to their fulfillment, and then we can nicely wrap it up. Very rarely do we give our lives, give our imaginations to things that are so big and so bold that we know it will take multiple lifetimes for them to be seen through. And yet there's something beautiful in God's kingdom for us to have those kinds of imaginations, to actually begin a work that is too big for your lifetime, to see it all the way through, to see something that would extend beyond you. To imagine a family legacy of faithfulness to God that your great, 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 great-grandchildren would inherit, or a legacy of faithfulness to the church that so shapes and affects a church community that for multiple generations, your investment bears fruit. There's an ancient Greek proverb that says, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never enjoy, which sounds like something from inside a fortune cookie. (laughs) But I think there's real truth to that. There's something profound, this idea of planting trees late in life believing that you may never see their shade, but it will be investing for future generations. And I think that's something that Paul sees. Paul knows that his life is caught up in the grand story of God, a story that predated him in every way, that he has a small but significant part to play in, but his job is to then see it faithfully through and entrust it to the Lord and entrust it to those who come after him. For Timothy then, it's a different story. Paul's writing to Timothy, a young leader, presumably Paul is assuming, has much life still to live. And to him, Paul says, you still have a lot to do. You have work left to do. Your time has not yet come. And that may be the challenge for us today as well. Maybe some of you, this is the challenge you need to hear, that we want the future glory. We want to be able to resonate with Paul's words, that idea of I've finished the race, I've done everything I've been asked to do, and yet we struggle with the gap between where we are today and what it would actually require of us to get to that point. And so we say, well, I don't know what it actually can look like day in and day out, week by week, to walk that path faithfully. Maybe an example is like a retirement account. 
Trinity staff recently shifted retirement providers, which means our mail has been filled with all these catalogs for retirement accounts. And I love looking at retirement catalogs because they tell us a lie. Because every cover of every retirement catalog I've ever seen has people who are like 85, who look as fit as 19-year-olds, walking on a beach saying, this is your future. This is what's coming for you if you just hold on. And then we all kind of believe it. We all like buy into this. And we, or at least we think that's what's owed me. Like if I just stick around long enough, eventually that's inevitably what's coming my way. And yet do we then do the work that is more in the footnotes of those magazines, which say, well, you have to make sure you match your employer's uh, matching grant. You have to actually save. You have to spend uh, less than you make. You have to save. I mean, all these things that actually guarantees if you do that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you might actually be able to go walk on the beach and live in paradise. And what's interesting is how quickly, how freely we buy into that. We love that vision and believe it to be inevitably true. And yet when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to eternal life, we kind of check out and say, well, God's merciful. Like, we'll get around to that. And we don't actually make the same intentional investments, the same intentionality of life that says, in the same way you would long for a retirement account, why on earth are we not giving our lives here fully and completely to things eternal? And that's Paul's unapologetic word to Timothy, to say, live your life in such a way that it will be fully given to that which will not fade, that which will last forever. And so as we wrap up, that's the last point. I think Paul says, very simply, live with a longing for God's kingdom. Live with a longing for his kingdom. Paul says in verse 8, from now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Our reading ends with him really reflecting on life eternal, this crown of righteousness, but it's still linked to the life that he lives. He doesn't separate those out. I've spent so much of my Christian life saying eternity has nothing to do with life on earth. It's all just going to burn and fade away. So why does any of this matter? Which is not the biblical vision. Paul fully sees the life that we live as preparation for and leading us into that which is eternal. And so his hope for life everlasting, the kingdom of God, becomes the animating vision for everything he did as long as he was alive. When he says, I fought the good fight, he's not being self-reverential. He's not saying, look at how well I have won, I've raced, how many fights I have won. No, he's saying, I've given my life to the highest good that can possibly be given to. I've given my life to the greatest good that could ever be pursued. And I think that's an essential question for us as we wrap up. Are you living your life? Are you giving yourself to the highest possible good? Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar, puts it this way. He says, Paul has been running in the noblest, grandest run of them all, the ministry of the gospel. We'll close with this. I want to close just thinking briefly on the collect of the day. We prayed it just a minute ago. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The collect of the day is not just the collect for this day, but it is a prayer that's meant to be prayed every day of the week. And so from Sunday until the next Sunday, in the church's wisdom, they believe this is something that should shape and guide and animate your week. This is a theme which you should chew on and pray again and again throughout your week and let it animate your imagination. And one of the things I love about the prayer for this week is because I think it ties beautifully into what I've been trying to say. On the one hand, it says we obtain what he promises. It's the first thing it says. 
that we move into the kingdom. It's this future-looking vision that there is a promise ahead of us that we believe can be obtained by God's grace, that we could have life with him eternal. And yet, it also has this very immediate sense in which it says, God, would you help us love what you command? Right here, right now, the life that we live, would you help reshape and redirect and reorient my desires, the things I love, the things I long after? Would I love what you command? And so maybe as a sign of faith, as a first step in this direction this week, would you stand and we'll pray this in unison before we continue with our service. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince, and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.